Welcome back to the Bonded Podcast. Till death do us binge. I'm Tom. And I'm Nicole. And our intern music is called Walking Back to El Paso by Texas Radio Fish. This episode, we're going to be talking all about Dr. No. Um, the project for us is to watch all of these James Bond movies together. So this is a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Dr. No, it was released in 1963 and has the title of the very first James Bond movie recognized, you might want to turn back now. I don't know we've given enough time to be able to see the movie. Probably not, you know, because things happen. I mean, we hadn't seen it. True. And you're a James Bond fan, right? Aficionado. Aficionado. And I'm a connoisseur of Connery, so... um. (laughs) How alliterative of you. (laughs) Well, I've even seen Zardoz, so obviously I must like the man. Um, (laughs) But anyway, Tom, can you tell us more about what the plot is of Dr. No? So Dr. No is a story about a secret agent who goes missing in Jamaica. Jamaica? James Bond is called in to investigate, and he discovers a hive of intrigue surrounding an island a mysterious island a mysterious island people who go there disappear disappear or are they disappeared by like the cia in this case they're disappeared by the evil organization specter specter oh no what does specter stand for the special executive for counterintelligence terrorism revenge and extortion that sounds Like a Daniel Craig movie. (laughs) (laughs) It also sounds like a really cheesy name for a criminal organization. Yeah. So why would we care about an island in the middle of the ocean in Jamaica? What, What could they possibly do? Well, there are radioactive materials on the island. What? And Spectre is planning to use them to disrupt the Project Mercury space launch from Cape Canaveral oh. using a giant radio beam. Oh, radio beams are rough. I'm not sure how radio beams can be radioactive, but hey, there is that suspension of disbelief. Their roots are similar. Radio beam, radioactive. There's a frequency thing. It's a whole another. It, it's a whole thing. Yeah, we could have a whole episode all on that, but we're not going to. <laughs> Bond, of course, gets captured as he is wont to do. And he is strangely not tortured or really hurt in any way. He's actually treated rather nicely by the villain, which is odd. Wait, well, wait a second. The villain. Who is this villain? Um, this villain, obviously, is Dr. No. <laughs> what what sets him apart? Like, I just... I, again, having really only seen one James Bond movie, and it was a very modern one, he didn't really have a... A weird like thing about him but but i'm sure that this one because it was the first this villain has something odd about them well for one thing he's half chinese half german criminal scientist with prosthetic hands made oh. of metal well how does he have the prosthetic the prosthetic arms uh, arms what happened to him um he worked too much with the radioactive materials <laughs> on the island wouldn't the rest of his body have been affected? Not just his arms? Okay. Okay. 
So maybe maybe he stuck his hands only into a metal box that had radioactive materials in them, and he did it ungloved. Okay. So I guess we can say that there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief in a James Bond movie. Oh, there's a lot of disbelief. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm seriously. So the running time of this was just over 100 minutes, 109 minutes. And this was released by and distributed by um, United Artists in 1962. So having this been the very first Bond, what, what did you think? I thought that the movie was deliciously campy. <laughs> it, I can see how it created a cult following mm-hmm. in that you know that this is fake. It's very obviously fake. But at the same time, it doesn't take itself too seriously. But see, okay, here's the thing. When you think of James Bond, you don't think of campy spy movies. You, When you think of campy spy movies, you think of like Pink Panther. You think of like... Um, Austin Powers. I mean, they have an homage to those 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 Bond movies, but those are definitely comedies. Whereas this is kind of in a weird space. Is it dramatic? Is it an action movie? Is it a comedy? Is it a political message based on the whole Cape Canaveral thing? You know, I mean, to me, I don't know. I don't know if I could call it campy. You know, don't forget the romance thrown in, but from the Bond girl. <laughs> well, okay, yes. So. So based on, there, there's a recipe, apparently, for a James Bond movie. There's meeting James Bond, there's the Bond girl, and there's circumstances they don't think are going to happen that just happen and weird things happen. And Obviously, James Bond has to save the day, right? Yeah, like, insert the world is going to end in some way, shape, or form here. <laughs> see i didn't get campy from this like i mean i know it's kind of it's kind of campy but i just i don't feel like james bond is supposed to be campy maybe it's campy in the way that it's just dated because we're looking at a movie that is so far removed from modern society well yeah i mean i mean this is the way that they did movies back in the 60s well and plus i mean dr no was a considerably low budget film it made it it was done for a million dollars and it brought back like five or six hundred mil- or five or six million dollars upon its release, which was a great rate of return. Let me actually find the stats. So, so actually, we should probably talk about production because this movie, there were things that happened. They wanted to make the movie for a long, a long time because Ian Fleming had made all of these, these books and people were into them. But a number of Hollywood film studios thought they were too British or too sexual. So a number of Hollywood film studios passed on it. They were just like, no, we're not doing this. It's too British. People won't get it in America. And also, it's too blatantly sexual. Also, this is based on a book, Dr. No, by Ian Fleming. However, there's a lot that's left out. And I'm kind of interesting. I'm kind of interested in reading the books now because there's there's things that that don't make sense that that were in the movie, and there's things that were in the books that they didn't glaze over. For example, hun, uh, the Honey Rider character, um, the Bond girl, the Bond girl was originally supposed to be clawed to death by crabs, but they sent the crabs. They they froze the crabs 
and sent them to the studio where they were making the film and they were frozen. So they could not film the scene that they wanted to see. So they did the, the, the drowning. They were supposed to be live yeah. crabs. Yeah. They were supposed to be live crabs that kind of like tried to eat her. Um, <laughs> it didn't really happen. Also, I was expecting some kind of like huge fight at the end. Well, hold on. Before, let's go take a step okay, back. Sorry. Is that you, what you're talking about implies that they were actually going to kill off Honey Rider. Yeah. Yeah. They were actually going to talk about it. They, um, okay. Yeah. So she's being tortured by being tied to the ground along with crabs. But since the crabs were sent frozen from the Caribbean, they did not move much during filming. So the scene was altered to have Honey slowly drowning. Also, the crabs... Okay. Yeah. So in the final scene where James Bond is escaping and finds Honey Rider to rescue her before she ends up being drowned, that was actually supposed to be... Crabs. She's being consumed by crabs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and also, this was actually really interesting too. Did you know that there's another film that they employed the same technique uh, about the tarantula? So did you know that James Bond also has something kind of um, in line with Raiders of the Lost Ark? How so? Okay, so you know that iconic scene where Indiana Jones is confronted with all those snakes and you can see the glass in one of the... The glare? Yeah, the glare. Well, apparently there was a scene where a tarantula walks over Bond and they were originally shooting it by pinning a bed to the wall and placing Sean Connery over it with protective glass between him and the spider. But the director didn't like it, so... That doesn't sound like it would be very effective <laughs> Apparently it was going to work and it was going to be beautiful, but the, the director didn't like it, so he, he ended up shooting the scene as it was written uh, with the stunt double. That's why you don't see his face close up. During the tarantula. So maybe Sean Connery does not work with tarantulas. <laughs> like, isn't that weird? You I thought think... there was one brief scene where you did actually see the tarantula crawling up his shoulder. And it was there was a shot of his face with the spider right there on his shoulder. I think there was one scene with it. Well, rather than just the stunt double. Well, apparently the stunt double, his name is Bob Simmons, and we should really give him some credit, because apparently he was uncredited for the entire role. So he never got a nod whatsoever. And he said it was this, the most frightening stunt he had ever performed. Because he's afraid of spiders. <laughs> even Maybe. though Even though tarantulas aren't... They don't have teeth strong enough to penetrate human skin. Well, you know, I don't know. But, um... Most don't, anyway. So, so yeah, that was, um... It was hard for them to find a director. Uh, additionally, they wanted Cary Grant to be James Bond. An interesting choice. But Grant said, if I'm in this, I'm only going to do one movie. And they wanted a franchise. They wanted a franchise. So, then, Patrick McGowan was going to be in it. He's he's in this British cult show called Danger Man. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But it's kind of campy, it's kind of spy, but it's very it's very intrigue intensive. And he decided he turned it down. David Niven was was considered um but they turned they turned him down. And then he went on to play Bond in Casino Royale or a Bond-like character in Casino Royale which has been you know, disavowed at this point as part of the Bond 
lexicon. Canon. Yeah. Um, so there were a couple of studios, but we'll get into that, uh, who, who made movies. Um, and then uh, Ian Fleming wanted Richard Todd to play. He was a, he's an actor, um, but he was a little young and a shade too pretty. So is there um, such a thing as too pretty for James Bond? <laughs> well, and then um, Roger Moore was even considered because he was in The Saint, the TV show, but they thought he was too young as well. So, so this whole dialogue about who's the next James Bond that we've been talking about and buzzing about as a whole for like ever since I can remember, this has been going on forever, <laughs> ever since the inception of the film. So they, um, the producer said, uh, went up to James, to Sean Connery for, for um, five films. And they basically said, hey, make five films with us. We'll pay you well. We'll take care of you. And he said, uh, he said, yeah. Now, there was a fine James Bond contest that someone held. And um, the winner of the contest was a 28-year-old model who looked similar to Gregory Peck. His name was Peter Anthony. But he was unable to cope with the role. He couldn't do it. So producers met with Sean Connery. And <laughs> he was scruffy and underdressed. And he was like unpressed clothing. He was all wrinkly. And... Doesn't sound very James Bond-esque. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, but Connery basically had had the actions and the mannerisms and then he was just like really macho and devil may care and he was just like I don't care if you don't like it this is how I would do it da, 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 da. we can be done and uh, <laughs> as they watched him walk away through the window the producers both agreed that he was the right man now once that happened one of the producers took him to uh, his tailor and dresser and introduced him to high life restaurants casinos and the women of london so they they basically educated him on the ways of being dapper witty cool and above it all because he was just some guy from scotland who had been in a disney movie <laughs> i should put that in there <laughs> what disney movie is that darby O'Gill and the little people it's like you like that <laughs> but so so the whole james bond i mean i personally think that sean connery is james bond that's just me because I've always thought that even though I hadn't seen him in action and it makes sense because of all the crap they had to go through. <laughs> they actually had to make a James Bond, you know, that should be a behind the scenes, the making of James Bond. <laughs> but also, so, so we have the, you know, James Bond is sort of the, the puzzle piece, the final puzzle piece. He's like the puzzle piece, the biggest part of the puzzle. But secondarily is the Bond girl. And in this case, it was Honey Ryder, played by Ursula Andress. Now, Ursula Andress is a Swiss-German actress. Did you know that? I was unaware of that. Yeah, and she was actually voiced over because nobody could understand what she was saying. Or that was the, that was the thought at the time that they couldn't understand what she was saying. So she was voiced over. Um, Does it credit who did the voiceover? Yes. Um, her name was Nikki Vanderzeel. Because she had a slight accent versus Ursula's very heavy Swiss German accent. Well, they certainly did a good job. I couldn't even tell that it had been dubbed over. Well, remember I even said to you, I'm like, I didn't think Ursula Andress sounded like that. Remember I said that like when we were watching it? I'm like, that's Ursula Andress? Like, it did not sound like her. Because I've heard her in, in interviews and stuff now. And then, no, that no, does not sound like her. No. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> and then they also wanted to get... Ian Fleming wanted the bad guy to be played by his friend Noel Coward. And Noel Coward said, no, 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 no. <laughs> As a joke. Because Noel Coward, I mean, let's face it, he was funny. But then he thought his step-cousin Christopher Lee could play Dr. No, which I didn't know Christopher Lee was Ian Fleming's step-cousin. That's kind of cool, right? Interesting little tidbit. Um, but the producer, by the time he told the producers, hey, I can probably get Christopher Lee, who was known for being this maniacal great villain, you know, and later on the bad guy in Lord of the Rings, right? One of them. <laughs> um, they had chosen Joseph Wiseman. Joseph Wiseman had been an actor who had played different practical effect makeup roles. He had been uh, a Latino. He had been painted to look different ways throughout his career. So the makeup that they chose for him to be an Asian man. Um, half Asian. Half Asian. I don't know. As as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, he is not Asian. He is not even half Asian. Like, I felt like the makeup was a little too much. But, you know, I mean, you have Pat Morita at that time who had just gotten off of Thoroughly Modern Millie. And you probably have a couple other Asian American or Asian actors. I just don't know that they were looking at them. Probably not. Yeah. It was a low budget film after all. It was. It was. Also, there was uh, the CIA guy that helps James Bond. That was uh, Jack Lord. Jack Lord went on to be in Hawaii Five-0. So he was only the CIA friend in one episode or in one, one film basically. And the character, cre- the character went on and uh, in 2006 in Casino Royale, he's, he, his character's in the film, but it's not played by, um, it's not played by Jack Lord, obviously. He would have been too old at that point. Well, and Lloyd, uh, Lord actually said that um, he wanted more money and better billing if they wanted him for Goldfinger. <laughs> and the studio basically said no. <laughs> it's a two-bit role. <laughs> yeah. You're not getting major money for... No, two-bit. but but he was in Hawaii Five-0, and that was really popular. So his fans probably would have gone to see that movie. You know? Potentially. 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 But yeah, so, I mean, I, I liked the movie. Uh, there were a few things like uh, one of the characters, the characters' names was Coral, Coral, and it kept making me think of Harry Potter. I'm like, no, he's a bad guy. <laughs> that did not happen, obviously. No, he was a good guy. He was a good guy who kept saying, "No, I don't want to do this because it's dangerous," <laughs> and then ended up doing it anyway, and it ended up costing him his life. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I think we're gonna see him again. I feel like we would see him again because. Like, he didn't die on camera. Like, isn't yep. that, like, an essential component to a James Bond movie? No, he, he definitely died on camera. He was yeah. roasted to a crisp by a flamethrower on a tank. Right. Oh, oh, yeah, the monster. Yes, right? the, dragon. the dragon. That was another thing. So they keep referring to this tank as a dragon. I was really disappointed by the time I finally saw it. I was convinced that it was going to be something amazing. You know, like, something to do with the radioactivity or, you know, something. Or some big behemoth, not some little armored personnel carrier with yeah. a flamethrower. Yeah, I mean, I would have accepted something mechanical. That's fine, but not a tank. The tank was just <laughs> underwhelming, I think. <laughs> I had to laugh a little inside when they stumble across the tank tracks and both Honey Rider and Quirrell say, 
Those are dragon tracks. Yeah, because they look like tank tracks. And did you notice that James Bond didn't say anything? He was like, okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave you two to your ignorance. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, also, Honey Rider, I was, I even told you when we were watching this, I, I thought that there was an opportunity where Honey Rider was talking about how she used to play with tarantulas and put them in beds. Do you remember that? Yes, when she got was little. revenge for... Yeah. And I thought that that was kind of unexplored. Did she do that to James Bond? Or, you know, her father had been an entomologist. Was Dr. No possibly her father? You know, like that kind of thing, kind of. But it, it petered out really quickly. I think that they tried to put it in there as a, could this Bond girl actually be the one responsible for trying to take James Bond's life? during the assassination attempt earlier in the film. But yeah, they never went anywhere with it. <laughs> no. And that was, I think that was a missed opportunity. And I understand that. Um, the director actually went for this um, hard and fast editing style because he thought it would, <laughs> it would fix the writing issues that they had. He admits that there were some issues with the writing and the script. So he just decided to cut fast and heavy when he could and, run things as quickly as he could, which is kind of funny. So final thoughts? Well, um, I just wanted to say that there was one other thing that I thought was kind of cool. The prom the promotion of, of James Bond. So the movie didn't come out until 63, but um, United Artists started a marketing campaign to make James Bond well-known in the United States. So they started sending a box set of books, a booklet detailing James's character, and a picture of Ursula Andress as Honey Rider. Like, to try to get people excited and interested. But they did this almost two years before the movie was released. Which is way too early in the marketing cycle. Well, but I mean, also we were looking at a different time. I mean, they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have social media. You know, um, it Still, would take someone... A t even without a digital presence like you have today, people's attention spans were still just as short back then. Well, yeah, but then they also, uh, closer to um, the release, Eon, which is the production company that did the 24 films that we have and then the two that kind of don't, mix, uh, don't match, um, and United Artists made licensing deals revolving around the character's tastes. So you'd see print ads and billboards with uh, drinks, tobacco, men's clothing, and car companies. And this is something you even said. You even mentioned something about the drinking in the movie. Do you remember that? About the, this is a smeared off ad. <laughs> yes, there's one particular scene where he's about to make a martini and very prominently displayed in the camera shot is a full bottle of Smirnoff vodka. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, they, they have the tobacco, the men's clothing, and the car company. I, I personally cheered inside when they gave him the Walther PPK. Because that's the golden eye gun. Like, <laughs> that's the one you always pick. That's the good gun. <laughs> he didn't want it, though. He, he was, didn't. He really, he did not like shooting, it seemed like. No. No. He didn't. Which is kind of cool, you know? Like He seemed to rely on his wits more than anything to get out of the situations that he got himself into. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I think that's refreshing in an action movie, personally. Um, I only kind of sort of fell asleep a little bit. I think. No, I didn't fall asleep in this one, did I? No, you didn't. No, I did not. I did not. So. I think 
The only thing that I particularly disliked about the writing was when they went up against the tank. <laughs> James was a terrible shot. Well, yeah. Well, but also, okay, the gun. So he had been using a really tiny gun. So not only does he have to deal with the weight of it, it's a brand new gun. So he's got to figure it out. Like they didn't take him, you know, in those spy movies, you always hear about like, here, we have this prep for you. Here's some new toys. And like, whenever you're playing a spy game, you have to go through and like shoot things and like do targets and all that stuff. He didn't get that. He literally, they just gave him the gun and he was like, eh. It's sort of implied that before he left on his trip, he would have done a little bit of target no, shooting. No, 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 it's not. Because remember, he walks out of the, I'm sorry, we're arguing here, but <laughs> he walks out of M's office very angry and he's handing a box, you know, he's, he's like taking the box with him and M comes out and says, Money Penny, make sure you, you get his gun. And then he just like walks out and he gets back to his hotel to pack. And that, that lady is waiting for him, and she's all like, hey, James. And he's like, sorry, I have to pack. Like, it, to me, it did not seem at all like he wanted target, like he was getting target practice or anything. It sounded like he was angry that he got a different gun, that he couldn't keep his little gun, and he was just going to go. Who cares? But you think he, you, you think he actually... I think that, that given the character of James Bond and how... He would have had to have had marksmanship training to get into the position that he's in, even if you're handed a brand new gun. And even if you don't have a chance to do target practice with it, the odds that you're going to miss 14 out of 15 shots the very first time you shoot with it, probably not very accurate. Well, but okay, but okay. What if he's not really a gunsman? He uses his wits. So in this case, the first time we really see him, he hasn't had to use his gun very much. And it's crappy, and he's terrible at it. But that influences the next time, and he's like, okay, I'm going to be a better shot. I'm going to practice with this. I think I'm being more influenced by the Daniel Craig movies, where he actually has to go through marksmanship training to recertify that he's ready to be out in the field. And that's what I'm saying, like... In all the games and in all the other spy movies, you see that. We didn't get this here. So I'm thinking that because of the tight, tight time frame, he didn't, because there was a, there was a, a rocket launch very soon and he had to get all of the information he could and investigate almost right after he left the office. So I'm thinking that that explains it. I don't know why I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to explain it. I'm like thinking way too much about it. But I think that that explains... We are looking a bit too much into this. (laughs) I think it just explains it. And also, it's a tank. Like, he knows a gun's not going to take down a tank. (laughs) He wasn't trying to take down the tank. He was trying to take out the spotlights. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Ursula Andres was there. You would think that he would probably try to be a little more I would think that that would actually make (laughs) his accuracy improve. Yeah. Well, you never know. No, he, he, he's using it as a way to go back and get his real gun. He's like, see, I, I'm terrible at this. Give me my gun back. <laughs> and Em's like, no, wait, hold on. I got to give you a special sight. Here, siphon this whiskey and you'll do this. And <laughs> Here's a pen that explodes. Use that instead. Maybe that's why he has all those toys. Because he shoots for crap. <laughs> okay, maybe not. You're looking at me like. He's got to have some way to compensate. Yeah, he does. 
That chest hair is not going to do everything for him. I don't know. It does a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So back to final thoughts. Yeah. I think that overall, I liked the movie. Again, I think it was still a little on the campy side, but I, I, I still enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. I think it was a little dated. Definitely. Um, definitely dated. But I thought it was a good introduction to James Bond. And while it was low budget, it had a good return that guaranteed that they were going to make more movies. And we're thankful for it. Yes, yes. And what else we're thankful for is uh, From Russia with Love is our next movie we're going to be watching. Ooh. Yeah. But what we're really, really, really thankful for is Walking Back to El Paso by Texas Radio Fish, because that's our music. I'm pretty excited about them. The bumper music, it, it makes the, it definitely makes the podcast. Yeah, it does. So, yeah, so definitely I would say, if you haven't seen it, see it. Just to see it. Um, they can only get better for me. <laughs> Pick binge with us. Yeah, totally. Check us out. Um, we are at Podbean under Bonded Podcast. And also on iTunes. So please listen, learn, join the conversation. Email us at bondedpodcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. And maybe next time we'll be talking about something you bring up. Feel free to comment. We'd love to hear it one way or the other. Yeah, totally. Until next time, catch you later. This is Bonded Podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Nicole. Have a great night. Bye.